Okay, um, here's where we are. Welcome again to GPC. If you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn there right away to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 12 will be our topic or our text this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can turn to page 939 on the Bible near you or page 788, 939 or 788, or open up your Bible on your app on your phone or your iPad and follow along there, Matthew chapter 7. If you don't own a Bible and, would, and need a Bible, that Bible in the pew is for you. That's a gift from us to you, so you can take that and use that and read that as you would like, page 939 or 788 there. Okay, we are in this series called These Words, and just kind of to set that up again for you, I think you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, the rationale for this thing, that Jesus is coming um, in the area around Jerusalem, and he's kind of a, um, a curious figure at this point. People are coming to try to figure out who he is and what he has to say. And so there are people who are sitting there listening to Jesus teach, and it's as if he's on the mount Sermon on the Mount, speaking to folks who are coming to listen to him. They have Jewish background. They're used to things the way they've been taught through the law and the prophets. And they listen to his teaching, and they end up being amazed by it at the end. And, and Jesus at the end says, if you do these words, if you not just hear them but do them, you will build your future, your life, your plans your solidity on the rock of the truth of God. If you just hear the words and don't do them, then your life will probably just be built on the sand and it will fall when the storms of life come and the hard times come. So here's what Jesus has said to this point. He said, there's some ideals that I want for you. There's some things that I want for you in your life. I want you, I want you never to worry. And I, and I want you not to fall into temptation. And, and I want you always to love your enemies. And I want your marriages always to stay together. And I want you always to trust me. And I want you to be generous with your stuff. And we look at this list of what Jesus is talking about, this ideal list, and, I, and pretty much we can say, okay, this week I think I just about failed in almost every one of those. I, I worried this week. I wasn't nearly as generous as I could be. I struggled with my thought life this week. I wasn't loving to the person who cut me off or to my spouse even this week, let alone loving my enemies. And we get from Jesus a whole list, if you will, of things that we should ideally be doing. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. And that is this. When I, when I grew up and as I was raised, when I heard or saw or felt... Um, a list of requirements from God, I felt as if God was a little bit like my headmaster at Harrison College in Barbados. Harrison College wasn't a college, but my secondary school or my junior high slash high school um, there in Barbados. Um, we called him uh, Pepe. I don't know why we called him Pepe, but he was uh, about 5'8 or 5'9, and he was a former colonel in what was essentially the Barbados army or national, well, the Barbados, let's call them an army. I call them an advanced Boy Scout troop, but it's a little more than that. Pepe was um, a strict disciplinarian, and you did not want to get on his bad side. In fact, he had that aura about him of authority and strength, and just being on the campus, there was, from my perspective, there was this aura almost of authority and discipline coming from that part of campus. I didn't even want to be around. I didn't even want to walk near that place because here's what I knew. In Barbados, we had to, we had to wear uniforms. They were very stylish. They were all khaki, all khaki. 
And everything had to be right. Or you could get a detention, or if you were, um, you were a, a repeat offender, you could get a lashing with a bamboo whip from a formal colonel in the army. And this happens to my friends, right? You are eating lunch in the wrong place. Uh, seriously, this is the deal. So, so here's the deal. For my, my uniform, right, you have epaulets that you have to wear like a little captain does on the, the pilot. And they have to be fresh and, and sharp. They can't have that little center scratched off, which happens over time. Um, your shirt has to be tucked in nicely, and you have this belt on. You can't forget your belt. Detention if you forget your belt. And we had shorts on because it's always hot, right? But then for some reason we had socks that got pulled up to our knees, and they, that was awesome. It was awesome, so awesome. And then you had to have a rubber band around the sock to hold it up, and then you had to fold the sock over. I'm serious. And if your socks slide down, you're in trouble. You say, Seriously, you're in, you're in trouble. So then you have your shoes, and they have to, you have polish. I bought polish for my shoes when I was 11 because they had to stay polished, and I felt like I'm in a military academy or something. I'm 11. And so I'm going to this school, and I'm always aware of, there's all these requirements. Man, I got epaulettes, got to be right, shirt tucked in, belt on right, make sure the socks are, you're always pulling the socks up. I got to get new rubber band things to hold my socks up, and my shoes need to be polished and look just right. Or we got sixth formers. This is, this is your 18-year-olds in the school, 18-year-old seniors in our high school world, um, 18-year-olds who also um, have a, a title of prefect. They are, they are allowed to write detentions for pretty much anybody they don't like. Now, there has to be a little bit of a reason for that, but if they see you, again, with your socks down or eating lunch in the wrong place or kicking the ball in the wrong place or whatever, or staying after school too long, they, they just write you up. You get detention, you get in trouble. So you're, I'm always aware. I'm walking around every day of my life. I'm going to school, and I'm feeling this tension of you got to get it right, 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 you can't be wrong, you got to get it right, got to get it right. And I'm telling you that that is, that is wearisome. That is wearisome. And, and I'm also telling you that this is what I sometimes feel like or I have felt like when I grew up thinking about what are the requirements that, that God has on my life for me. I mean, got to pull your thought life up. Make sure that never falls down. You got you to tuck in your money. Make sure that's just right and generous. And you've got to got to wear integrity and trust on your shoulders. Make sure that never changes because there's always people watching you and God is always watching you. And so here's what happens in that world if we see our God like that, that when we fall and when we fail and we don't meet up to these standards that we think God has for us, we just try harder or we give up. We either leave school or we just say, doggone it, I'm going to get this thing right. I'm going to figure this out and pull myself up. Or we get really withdrawn and passive because we think we can never control, we can never do what God wants us to do. So this morning, what Jesus is doing with the the people who he's speaking to on the mount is he's kind of given all of these things, you know, trust me, be generous with your money, love your enemies and love your spouse, and don't ever think bad things, don't ever be angry with people. And you look at all that, and if we're just honest, we look at that and we say, man, I know I can't do it, so when's lunch? It's just so far beyond what I can do that I can look at that and I say, I'm, I, I know I can't, so what do I do? And here's what Jesus is coming to today. He's saying, I want you today, I want you today, and maybe to be honest, maybe for some of us for the first time, for the first time maybe, I want you to understand 
the character of the God who is asking you to do these things. I want you to understand, I want you to feel for the first time why this God wants this from you and who he is. And Jesus portrays God the Father, God as a father, a picture, a metaphor of a father that, to be honest, for some of us is hard to grasp because all of us have had different father figures, right? For some of us, when we hear that God is a father, we think, yeah, that's great, but my dad was never around. It's so hard for me to conceive of God as father. My my father was abusive to me. He was emotionally, physically abusive. And I'm supposed to trust God as father? My dad was passive. He was in the church all the time, but he never led our family. I can tell you that. And I'm supposed to picture God as, as father? And my, God, my father was domineering. He never got things wrong. He was always strong. And I'm supposed to picture God like that? And Jesus says, let me get under the surface with you a little bit. Let me get under the surface and explain to you and show you what it means that God is a father to you. And this is where he goes in chapter 7, verse 7. So if you have your Bible, go there with me. Chapter 7, verse 7. Jesus speaking of, his, of God the Father. And he says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For, for everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Let's stop there, verse 8. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Do you see the progression? There's three different verbs that Jesus uses there. Ask, and then seek, and then knock. Asking is the beginning. It's a simple request, isn't it? It takes almost no initiative. I'm just... I'm going to ask. And sometimes you receive by asking. Sometimes in life, though, when you, let's say, I'm, I'm looking for a job, I'm going to ask, does anyone have work? And the answer is yes, and I get a job. It's as simple as asking. Sometimes I ask and the answer is no. Then I have to seek, seek a little more initiative, a little more strength, a little more walking down that road. Seek and you will find. I'm going to seek, I'm going to look, I'm going to pry open here, and maybe I'll find a job here. But sometimes that doesn't work either, and sometimes I get to a job, and I I ask about it, I've sought for it, and I get there, and they say, you know, we're not hiring. And then I knock on the door that looks closed in my life. This opportunity looks closed, and Jesus says, knock, and the door will be open to you. And sometimes we've all had this. Someone has said, no, you can't, it's not going to work. And you come back later, and you come back later, and you come back later, and you've knocked, and you've knocked, and you've knocked, and the door opens to you. And this is what Jesus says, ask and it will be, and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. And just in case we didn't get it, he reiterates it in verse 8. He says it again, check out verse 8. For everyone, everyone, that means everyone. For everyone who asks, receives, and who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be, will be opened. And this, this is really an ideal picture, isn't it? 
And who wouldn't want to serve a God like this? You just got to ask, you just got to, you just got to seek, and you just got to knock. And then to try to bring it home, Jesus is like, let me, let me tell you what it's like. Let me tell you what it's like. And he goes to verse 9. Because they're confused. Which of you, verse 9, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It's not a question, it's a statement with an exclamation mark at the end. Okay, so if, if we, now Jesus illustrates this, he says, okay, listen, you may not understand, so let me put it in this picture for you. Think of kids, think of your kids. They, they ask for food, you give, give them a stone. They ask for, for bread, you can give them a stone. You can give them a snake instead of fish. Who would do that? The answer is none of us. How much more then will your heavenly father give good gifts to his kids? How much more will he do that? Which is really great, isn't it? It really is great. So, so here's the, the deal. This works for you, right? Every prayer that you've prayed has been answered, right? Every time you've been sick and haven't wanted to have the flu that week, you've prayed and said, God, please take this from me, and he does, right? Every time your kid is in rebellion and you just pray, God, give me wisdom to know how to deal with this, and I pray that they come out of rebellion, that works, right? And every time you're out of money and you just pray and you knock on the door and you seek and you ask, I mean, that works, right? Every time you're out of a home and you're trying to find it and you don't know where to go and you just pray and ask and it it works, right? You're not sure if you're going to get married and you're feeling discouraged. You're thinking, man, everyone else is getting married and why not me? Can I please find a... A woman, can I please find a man? I mean, that works every time, right? Just, just ask, just seek, and the, you know, knock. I mean, what's the problem? Everyone, verse 8, everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door's going to be open because God is a good father who gives good gifts to his children. I mean, doesn't that work that way for you? Maybe you're just not spiritual enough. Maybe I'm just not spiritual enough. What do we do with this? Seeming inconsistency, right? This is like a blank check that Jesus is offering to us. But yet our experience, right, if we're honest, we're like, this doesn't work. Right? This doesn't work like that. I think maybe, okay, what if I just need to be more spiritual? There's a guy who's relatively spiritual. His name is Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament. In the book of Acts, it's recorded that he wants to go to Spain as his next journey on his missionary journey. And the door is closed for him to go to Spain. Maybe he's just not spiritual enough. Then there's another guy who's relatively spiritual as well. His name is Jesus. And he, he prays one night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is, he is pouring out his life, his soul to, to God the Father. And he says, if it is possible, if it is possible, and you, some of you know this, take this, what, cup from me. He didn't have a thermos. What he meant was take this, take this um, task of going to the cross. Because Jesus knew it was coming, the, the cup of death 
that was coming to, to be brutally crucified on the cross. And Jesus is praying in the garden. He says to God the Father, if it is possible, please take this cup from me. And you can feel the urgency and the earnest request that Jesus has before the Father. And he said, please take this from me. And who hasn't resonated with that? Please take this cancer from me or my spouse. Please, I want to move on with my life. Please help me figure out what to do. Please help me. And God the Father answers Jesus, no. I won't take this cup from you. You're going to have to go to the cross. And then Jesus has the audacity, right? In Matthew 7 to say, everyone, everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open to you. And so now we have to address this issue. We have three choices. One is we ignore the Bible. We don't believe it anyway, so who cares? Bad choice, in my mind. Two, Jesus is lying. He's, he's just lying. He's telling me something that's not true. My mind, bad choice. Number three, I'm misunderstanding something that Jesus wants me to understand. Something that goes deeper than my requests. Something that goes deeper than my desires. And this is what I think Jesus is speaking to. And what he is speaking to is what he says in verse 11. He says there again, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And here's what he's saying. He's saying that, listen, as you are trying to walk through your life and you're walking into these ideals that I talked to you about, Don't be greedy. Be generous. Trust all the time. Never worry. Never have a lustful thought. Never be angry. Always stay married. Never think about divorcing. Always, always, always. We walk into that and we think, I can't, I can't. How do I do do that? And there's such a burden to do that. I mean, everything has to be right. I mean, my socks have to be up just right. My belt has to be just right. And people are looking at me and everything has to be just right. And God is kind of looking at me. And when I disobey him, it's just not right. And I feel bad, so I try to work hard to earn his favor more because God's kind of this rule giver. I mean, look at all the rules that he's given me. And this is what Jesus is getting underneath. And he says, listen, listen, listen. As you walk and try to understand who your father is in heaven, this is who your father is. He is fundamentally good. He is fundamentally good and benevolent and generous. And for those of us who've had dads who have not measured up to that standard, it is difficult to hear this truth. Your heavenly Father is fundamentally for you. 
not against you. Just like you are fundamentally for your children, not against them. And when your kid asks for bread, you don't give him a stone. And when we ask God our Father for our necessities, He's going to provide in ways that we can't always understand. But our God is fundamentally good. Jesus is getting to our, your God, your Father, is not fundamentally a rule giver. Remember who Jesus is talking to. They're Jews. They're Jews. He's speaking up here on the mountain. All these Jews who've grown up in the temple, they've, their parents have taught them the 613 commandments of how to follow God. They see their, their father. They see Yahweh. They don't even see him as father. They see him as a rule-giving, strong, powerful, mighty other being who kind of comes in and rules everything and is in control and who's to be feared. And Jesus is getting underneath that assumption of our God and he says he is fundamentally generous to you. He is good. He is good. And then, and then he says in verse 12, so, In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is a little funny, isn't it? So in everything, and here's the golden rule. You've heard that before. Hey, would you want them to do that to you? Then don't do that to them. And this is where it shows up. Jesus is speaking it here. But the question is why? Why does he put it here? He's just trying to get under the surface to help us understand God is not primarily a rule-giving, justice-bringing, judgmental-type God who is going to zap you if you don't follow all the rules. Rather, he is disposed toward liking you. He is good. Brings his favor to you. So then, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. What? What is he saying? Do to others, but I thought we were talking about God. So how am I supposed to? What is the connection? I thought we were talking about my relationship with God, not my relationship to others. And here's what I believe Jesus is saying. I will treat you like I think God treats me. My default treatment of you is a reflection of how I think God treats me. So we've done this, right? When when I'm impatient with you, if I'm honest, when I'm impatient with you, it's because I believe that I have a failure in my own life that I know that God is, that I think God is impatient with me about. I wish I were different. You're getting in my way. You're slowing me up, and I'm impatient with you, and I can't even verbalize it, but I think that God is impatient with me, therefore I'm impatient with you. How many times do I have to tell you to pick that up? How many times do I have to remind you to do that? How many times do I? Because I know that God has to be that way to me, and I wish it weren't the case. When I'm angry with you, same thing. When I'm generous with you, I've come to this understanding that my God is generous with me. See, how I treat you is a reflection of my belief in how my Father treats me. And so if I come and I see my God, my Father, as a rule-giving, justice-wielding Father who's just interested in my conforming, I'm going to act that way to you. You, you need to follow these standards. And if you don't, I, man, I'm cutting you out of my life. I'm going to gossip about you. I'm going to put you under 
in my own little way. But if I believe my Father is fundamentally good and generous, then I'm going to treat you in the same way. This is why Jesus says, so in everything. As you understand, so in everything. As you understand how the Father treats you. He's good and generous. So what? So in everything. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And and here's the connection. That as we pray, right, and we've experienced this, as we pray and ask God, God, please help me find work. Please help me heal from this. Please help me with the finances. Please help me. I need need emotional support here. Please, Please help my family to reconnect and all that. That there are people, and there have been people who have come alongside of you in times that have been the most difficult and have been, and you would say this, have been an answer to prayer for you, right? Who have supported you, who have done to you as you would want to do, as you would want to do to others. So in everything, as you see God as good and generous and benevolent, fundamentally, do to others with the same generosity and goodness and patience and long-suffering and care and love because of who our God is. The book of Romans has an incredible amount of... Uh, power and strength in that book, but there's a particular question that Paul asks. It's almost a statement, and we actually sang from this uh, early on, our first song that we sang in our worship set this morning. Um, And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is for us, remember that? We sang that this morning. And Paul asks this question in Romans 8.1. He says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? The answer is nobody. It's left absent and it's powerful in its absence, the strength of nobody. So, so here's, here's the implication. If, if God is for you, if God is for me, if God is fundamentally not, not a rule-enforcing, uh, judgmental, domineering father, but is first of all a good, loving, benevolent father who wants the best for his children, If God is for us, therefore I'm for you. God is for me, therefore I am for you. And you're for me. I'm not against you. You're not against me. Because this is not who my father is. And I learned from dad. I learned from my heavenly father how to treat you, how you can treat me. For some of you this morning, you're, you're coming, all right? And you're just saying, man, I, I don't know what the future holds. I wish I knew what to do with my life. I'm kind of in that point where I'm trying to figure out a career or a college choice or who I'm going to marry or whatever. I don't know what to do right now with my life. You might say, yeah, ask, seek, knock, that's good, but it hasn't worked before. Let me remind you, at the fundamental level, your Father is for you. He is for you. 
He created you. He is not against you. And sometimes God uses other people to show you that He is for you. You might need courage to ask again, to seek again, to knock again. And the knocking is the hardest when the door looks closed. It's closed. Why would I knock? Jesus says so. Knock on that closed door. But it's, it's closed. Right. Knock. Go. Try again. Have courage. Try again. For some of us, this morning, and you're hearing this, and this week God might use you as the encourager that people need. You might this week be the answer to someone's prayer, truthfully. You, you might step in at just the right moment, have the right word, write that note of encouragement, send the email, send the text, post a thing on Facebook, call them, visit, have dinner with them, have them over, whatever it might be, and they're going to say, you know what, I don't know how you knew this, but I just needed to hear some good news this week. You're going to say, well, God is for me, therefore I'm for you. I heard that somewhere. I don't know where, but I heard that. I am for you. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Who do you see this week? Who needs it? Who needs it this week? Who needs to feel and see and know the love of God in very, very tangible ways? To see that God is primarily and fundamentally good and positioned in a a benevolent, caring way to his children. Who needs to see that? You know who needs to see that. You might be sitting next to them and you haven't been afraid to talk to them. You You don't know how to start. What it looks like to be an encouragement to your spouse, to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your family member. God is for us, therefore I am for you. And how I see my dad is how I'm going to treat you. And this is why Jesus says, ask and seek and knock and know and know and know and know. If you know how to good, give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give you good gifts? And those good gifts might be sitting next to you this morning. Therefore, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. God is for us, and we were for each other. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for a reminder here of the fact that you are not, first of all, angry with us, or disappointed in us, or wished we would have been different, wished we could have been more obedient, or more faithful, or turned out differently, or what have you, that fundamentally you are for us. And Father, as we, as we come to the end of this and get ready to sing this song, some of us might need to sing this, some might just need to reflect on the truth of these words, that God is with us. He is on our side. He will make a way. He will go before. You will never leave us. You will never leave us. That our God is for us. Some of us are discouraged this morning, don't know where to turn, and life just seems to kind of be closing in. And we just wish that this were a blank check that you would we'd be able to 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 cash against your God account. And yet we know it doesn't always work that way. But we do know that fundamentally you are for us and not against us. So, Father, for that encouragement alone, we thank you. And I pray for courage for us this morning to hope again, to try again, and to be leaning into one another to help each other again. Give us courage to say the things we need to say to our coworkers this week, to see them in a way that we haven't before, to 
make that first step to just put our arm around them or to shake their hand or just to add a little word of appreciation for them in a way that reminds them there is a good and generous God who is for us and not against us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.